Amen. Thank you, Rebecca. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace, my fears were relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. The writer of that hymn, John Newton, was nurtured by a devoted Christian mother. But she passed away and he followed his sea captain father to a sailor's life. John didn't care for the discipline of the Royal Navy. He deserted ship, was flogged, and eventually discharged. He then headed to regions where he could sin freely. And he ended up on the western coast of Africa working for a slave trader who mistreated him. Newton's life during that period bore the appearance of a modern prodigal son. And as one author put it, he was a wretched-looking man toiling in a plantation of lemon trees on some faraway island. Clothes had become rags, no shelter, and begging for unhealthy roots to allay his hunger. After more than a year of such treatment, he managed to escape from that island. The following year, his ship was battered by a severe storm. And during this life-threatening voyage, John Newton committed his life to Jesus Christ. Ironically, Newton then served as a captain of a slave ship for six years. But as Christ began to work in his heart, he came to abhor slavery and later joined William Wilberforce of England in crusading against slavery. Newton became greatly influenced by preachers like George Whitfield and John and Charles Wesley. He began studying for the ministry and preaching wherever a vacant building was, and he was known as the old converted sea captain, and he attracted large crowds hungry for the gospel. In his old age, it was suggested that Newton retire because of bad health and failing memory. He replied, my memory is nearly gone. But I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. That's what the gospel does. It changes everything for those who believe and obey it. This morning we're going to begin a journey through the book of Romans. This is one of the most important books in the whole Bible as it helps us to understand the significance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Just what it did for us. The theme under which we are studying this awesome book, I've entitled, The Gospel Changes Everything. And today we're going to see that the kind of change that Romans talks about is only possible because of the power of the gospel itself. We will see how the gospel's power is demonstrated through the lives of those who believe it. By faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17 
are the key verses to understanding the book of Romans. I'm going to read them. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. Paul says this. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. For in it, that is, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is, is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just, that is those made right with God, by the power of the gospel, the just shall live by faith. The gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is, if you're a note taker, this is what I want you to hear throughout the whole study. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just facts to be believed. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a life to be lived. A life of righteousness and faith. You see, you can believe the facts of the gospel and go to hell. The devil believes in the facts of the gospel. We're going to talk about what those facts are in a moment. But he won't be in heaven. It is a life to be lived. It is what you do with the gospel. And it is what God has done in your heart as he transforms your life by its power. We can observe the power of the gospel to change sinners' lives through two lenses. And this morning, we're going to look at the lens of the gospel's truth. And then next Sunday, we're going to look at the lens of the gospel's testimony. How can we see the gospel? So first of all, let's look through the lens of the gospel's truth. As we begin in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, as he identifies himself as the author, or the, let me say, the writer. God is the author, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, as we sung these songs this morning about the Word of God. These holy words, these ancient words, the Bible says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, that is, God breathed. That God moved upon, as Peter says in 1 Peter, moved upon holy men of God. And that these things that we have were not written by the will of man, but as God moved upon their hearts. They pinned them down. So Paul is the writer. God is the author. He says, Paul, and a bondservant of Jesus Christ. We're going to come back to that. Called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. So here's the first gospel truth. The gospel is whose gospel? It's God's gospel. It's the gospel of Almighty God. It originated in His heart, in His mind. How many of us would have thought of this idea that we needed to be saved. That we were bad enough to be saved. You see, there's many people out there still. In fact, a large majority. The Bible says the road to destruction is wide, and many there are that are on it. But the road to life is narrow, and there are few that are on it. 
So the large majority, and in fact, every one of us at one time in our lives were not under the conviction that we needed even to be saved, that we needed the gospel. It was not man's idea. We didn't come up with this. And had we come up with some way of, if we ever came up to the conclusion that we were sinners by ourselves, by the way, that's only the Holy Spirit that makes a man or a woman or a boy or girl understand that they're sinners. But Because the Bible says it is the Holy Spirit who convicts the world of sin. I don't convict myself of sin. So, But if I ever could have come up by myself to convict myself of sin and that I needed saving, then I would have concocted a nicer way an easier way, a more palatable way than a perfect person who came from heaven and died a death that I deserved. I would have, I would have done it a lot differently. See, the gospel didn't originate with us. It originated from the heart of God. It is of God, not from man. We didn't invent this. This isn't a Baptist thing. It's not a Pentecostal thing. It's not a Catholic thing. It's not a Presbyterian thing. It's not a religious thing. It's a God thing. Let's square that. First and foremost, the gospel is of God. Let me ask you this. If it's of God, can we depend upon it? Of course. If it were man, then no. It's the gospel of God. Paul says in the next phrase, verse 2, which he promised. God promised that this gospel would come before. He, he, he promised it long before it ever came to pass. Before it ever came to in existence, he promised it through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, the New Testament is where we learn the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, the first four books of the New Testament are called what? The Gospels. Why? Because they tell the story, the good news. The term gospel means good news. It means, actually, the word is euangelon. We get the word angel from that word, or the root word, messenger. And it also means to proclaim a message of good news. So you see, the gospel inherently is a message of good news intended to be what? Proclaimed. You see, the gospel is not something you just believe, and that's it. It's a life to be lived and proclaimed and testified of. But this gospel was promised before in the Holy Scriptures, in the, in the prophets. For example, Isaiah 53, the whole chapter, the whole book. In fact, this whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, if you pay attention, you see Jesus from beginning to end. But he says in Isaiah 53 about Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions. He, Jesus, was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement or the punishment so that we could have peace with God was placed upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, he says in Isaiah 53. Every one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. There's the gospel and the prophets. And it is consistent 
with the Holy Scriptures. He says he promised it before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel is consistent throughout. It's God's plan A from Genesis to Revelation. And this gospel, he says in verse 3, concerns his son Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel, verse 9, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of his Son. The gospel is from God. It originated in his heart. It was promised before in the Old Testament, prophets, consistent with the scriptures, and it's all about one person. Who is that? Jesus Christ. H.A. Ironside, theologian of a few decades ago, said the gospel is not a new law. It's not a code of morals or ethics. It is not a creed to be accepted. It is not a system of religion to be adhered to. It is not good advice to be followed. It is a divinely given message concerning a divine person, the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. In John chapter 1, John opens his gospel, the gospel writer John opens his gospel introducing us to who it's all about, Jesus Christ. But he also introduces us to the forerunner of Jesus Christ, and his name was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a very popular person at the time, and in fact, he was so popular, people came to ask him and said, Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one who God promised is going to come and be our Savior? Now, at this moment, John had some options. He could have said, Yes, I am the promised one, and he could have been exalted, and, and he could have had more power than any man alive. But here's what John said. He said, No, I am not the Christ. I'm not even worthy to bend over and undo his sandals, meaning I'm not we even worthy to be his slave like a slave would undo a person's sandals and wash their feet as they entered the house. I'm not even worthy to do that, John said. You see, John knew who the gospel was about. It wasn't about him, even though he was a prophet and a preacher. You see, I want you to understand that the gospel is from God. It's consistent with all the scriptures, and it's all about one man, Jesus Christ. It's not about a preacher. It's not about a religion. It's not about a denomination. It's not about an apostle or a prophet or even a law or set of rules and regulations. The gospel concerns the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But what about Christ makes up the gospel? So just what is this gospel that you're talking about? How do we define it with Scripture? And here it is, right here in Romans. It concerns Jesus Christ, who was born of the seed of David. First of all, let's take that term, Christ. The term Christ means anointed one, exalted one. We need to understand that Christ existed with God the Father before he ever came to earth as a baby. Now, if you can't swallow that, then you can't be saved. You have to accept that by faith. It's hard to conceive that Jesus was preexistent. In fact, he was on the throne with God. The Bible says in John 1, 1 and 2, 
In the beginning was the Word, capital W, Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, who, who is He? says, He was in the beginning with God. And it's obvious that he's talking about Jesus because in, in 12 more verses, in verse 14 down there, he says, And the Word, capital W, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. So it's obvious that he's talking about Jesus. Jesus was with God before he ever came to earth. That's part of the gospel. He didn't just come to be when he was conceived in his mother's womb. And his conception is part of the gospel. He was conceived of the Virgin Mary. He was conceived apart from an earthly father. It says, that which is conceived in you, the angel said to Mary, is of the Holy Spirit. He is the chosen, anointed Christ, the person that the gospel would center around. And he was sent by the Father as a man. That's what verse 3 tells us. He was born of the seed of David. He became a man. John 1.14, he became flesh. He took on humanity. He was fully God, embodying fully man. Born just as we are. As human as you. But yet fully God, fully divine. Hungry just like you get hungry. Thirsty just like you get thirsty. Tired just like you get tired. All the things that a human would experience, he, he experienced. And then he suffered death and burial and was resurrected. Look at verse 4. He was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. You see, it is a fact of the gospel that Jesus Christ left heaven, became man. Why did he have to become man? Because he had to be able to die. You can't kill God. So God had to take on flesh so he could die. In the place of cruel sinners, it was a substitutionary death. In other words, it should have been us that died. It should have been us. The wage of sin is death. That's eternal separation from God. It should have been us. But Jesus Christ, God, became man and then took on our sin. Never sinned. He was tempted, the Bible says, and always, yet, as we are, yet without sin. Never once did he sin. The Apostle Paul summed up the gospel to the church at Corinth when he said these words. He said, I delivered to you that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again, the third day, according to the Scriptures. There's the Gospel in a nutshell. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ was raised for our sins, according to the Scriptures. You see, Jesus suffered for us. He was the substitute. He took what we deserved. That's the Gospel. And it's by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we receive amazing grace that would save a wretch like me so that when I was lost, that I could be found by God. When I was headed for hell, I could, my destiny would be altered forever. 
I've received grace, he says in verse 5 of Romans 1. He says, through him, Jesus, we have received grace. Grace. What's grace? Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. He gave us his only begotten son. We didn't deserve that. We had done nothing to deserve it. The Bible tells us, Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, God demonstrated his love towards us. In that while we were yet or still sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. John, in John 1, he said, the law came by Moses. We're going to see in the book of Romans how the law cannot save us. I don't mean the American law, civil law. I mean the law of God cannot save us. He said the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace, that is God giving us what we don't deserve, through faith, that is us receiving it by faith, believing it, are you saved? For by grace, through faith, are we saved, not of works. God's grace made us right with God. This is the truth of the gospel. And this is the gospel Paul says in verse 16 he's unashamed of. This is the gospel we can be unashamed of. This is the true gospel. So we're looking at the gospel. We're looking at the, this book of Romans through the lens of the gospel's truth. This is the gospel's truth. Paul wrote to the Christians in Galatia, challenging them not to believe in another gospel. In Galatians 1... 6, he says this, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And he says it again, verse 9, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. There is only one gospel. There's not several. Friends, the way of the, to heaven is narrow. We have been called narrow-minded. That's okay. Because Jesus said it first. The way to heaven, the way to life is narrow. It's not the Baptist way. It's not the Pentecostal way. It's not the Presbyterian way. It's not the Catholic way not the Lutheran way. It's the Jesus way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's only one gospel. 
And it's all about Jesus, that he died, that he was buried, that he was resurrected. And for all who believe, the power of the gospel transforms them inwardly, changes who they are, their perspective, their outlook on life, their worldview, changes everything, especially their eternal destiny. Let me point out some false gospels that we should be ashamed of. That we should be aware of. That we should be against. The legalist gospel. The legalist gospel says you must keep the law of God. You must follow the rules of your religion if you want to be accepted by God and go to heaven. That's the legalist gospel. You can't do this, you can't do that, you got to do this, you got to do that. Okay? We're saved by faith, but faith, genuine faith that truly saves, transforms a person from the, outs, from the inside out and gives that person a new heart and new desires and drives that wants them, motivates them to obey. You can't force obedience. It's not conformity. It's transformity from the inside out. Legalist tries to conform you to a pattern. Jesus wants to transform you. There's the Gnostic gospel. The word Gnostic means knowledge. The Gnostic gospel says you must attain some higher level of knowledge or special revelation. If you want to be saved, you graduate from level to level of spiritual knowledge and you get to a certain point and you're there. You've arrived. That's the Gnostic gospel. Beware of, of new revelations. Beware of special knowledge. Then there's the emotional or mystic gospel. As one writer put it, he said, salvation, describing this gospel, salvation, according to the emotional or mystic gospel, comes through an emotional experience with God. That the church is there to help them feel close to God by helping them along in their pursuit of this mystical union. It's not just feeling bad for your sins. It's not just feeling good that you were in part of a great worship service. It's not an emotional feeling. Then there's the social gospel or the activist gospel. This is the gospel that says, If I do enough good for mankind, if I feed the poor, clothe the naked, uh, uh, minister to the down and out of society, give money, serve, then, then I'm approved in God. After all, didn't Jesus say he divides the sheep from the goats and he puts the goats on his left and the sheep on his right and he says to the sheep, I, because you were naked, I, you saw me naked, you saw me hungry, you saw me thirsty, you did all these things for me, entered the joy of the Lord. Isn't that what it means then to be saved, that we minister to these people and we get saved? No, that's not the gospel. That's what gospel people do. But that's not the gospel. That's not how you get saved. Then there's the social club gospel. The social club gospel is, is all about finding fellowship and friendship at church. It's, we've re, it's, being, it's reduced to Christian relationships that help us enjoy life. You just need to get connected with good people and church people and Christian people. Join the church. Now you can join the church and never have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You can be on our mailing list, get our newsletter. Have access to our website. Hey, we'll even give you a login to our church app. But you could bust hell wide open. 
Because joining the church ain't the gospel. Some of you joined the church and never got saved. Then there's the prosperity gospel. Claims that if you trust Jesus, pray the sinner's prayer, then, then uh, God's going to prosper you materially. You're going to have an abundance of wealth and health. Boy, that's a popular gospel. It's what keeping these, when you have certain preachers on TV, and not that TV preaching's wrong, because not every TV preacher's like this, but when a man has eight private jets and he claims he needs a ninth one, something wrong. Then there's the poverty gospel. Hey, didn't Jesus say to the rich young ruler, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, come follow me, then you'll have eternal life? So I give all my goods away. I sell my house, I get rid of my bank account, I just give it all to the poor, then I can go to heaven. Nope, that ain't the gospel either. It's not the prosperity gospel, it's not the poverty gospel. Well, how about the God is only love gospel? God loves everybody. Does God love everybody? Of course He does. Oh, God's not mad at you, though. He's not angry. There's no such thing as wrath and God sending people to hell. Is that true? Look at verse 18, Romans 1. Somebody read the first few words of that verse out loud. What does it say, the first five words? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness. Read the Bible and you'll find that God is also a God of wrath. The bad news, see the gospel, the good news makes the bad news, the bad news makes the good news even better. You see, the bad news is if you reject the good news, you're going to hell because God has provided a way for you to be saved and you stumble over it or you ignore it completely and you wake up one day in hell and you say, how did I get here? I thought God was love and he wouldn't send anybody to hell. You'll realize once you're there, hopefully you don't get there, but if you do there, you'll realize it wasn't God's fault. You'll know immediately whose fault it was because every opportunity that you ever had to get saved will come flashing before your eyes, I believe, and you'll see every time you rejected it. The good news is that you don't have to stay over here in the bad news. These are the false gospels that Jesus has nothing to do with because it removes the significance of his substitutionary atonement for our sins. These false gospels have no power to remove sin and make us right with God. You can sell all you have and give it to the poor. You can minister to the poor. You can have all these special knowledges and revelations, but those things do not have the power to remove your sin. There's only one thing that has the power to remove sin. John the Baptist said, as he pointed his bony finger at Jesus through the crowd, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the only one that can remove your sin. These false gospels are centered in pride and self-accomplishment. 
and not on what Christ has already accomplished on the cross for us. The true gospel Paul is talking about here is the power of God to change the lives of any sinner. That's me. That's you. Any sinner who believes. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Whether you're Baptist or Methodist. Whether you're American or Japanese. Any sinner that comes to him by faith. That's the lens of the gospel's truth. And when you, when a person is changed, their life becomes a living testimony. Next week we're going to look at Paul through the lens of the gospel's testimony. And we're going to look at the Romans in that same lens, how their life was changed. And see, has the gospel changed my life? Friends, this is the truth of the gospel. And I want to challenge anyone here today, if this is not the gospel you believed in, then you need to get right with God. If you just joined the church, or if you just had some emotional experience, or if you just thought that doing good deeds was the way to heaven, you need to admit that to God. You don't have to admit it to me. It's not about me. You need to admit it to God. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts the world of unbelief. As the gospel you believed in, does it look like the gospel we just looked at today? There is no other true gospel. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you admitted, confessed your sin to Him? Have you committed your life to Him? You see, it's not a set of facts. These are the facts. Jesus died, was buried, rose again. You say, I believe that. That's what the devil believes. Some of you here are counting on the, on the fact that you believe those facts. And you said to some preacher somewhere, some church somewhere, yeah, I believe those facts. But that's not enough. The gospel's not about facts to believe in. It's a life to live. Did you surrender your life to Jesus Christ? That's what the rich young ruler wouldn't do. That's what Agrippa, we'll see next week, wouldn't do. He said, almost you persuaded me. That's what a lot of people won't do. But some people want to be just good enough just religious enough to appear that way. As the Bible says, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Don't just accept the facts as truth. The devil knows that. The Bible says the devil believes there is God and trembles. He won't be in heaven. Will you surrender your life to the one who gave his for you? I want to share this story with you before I close. And I know it's a little bit... The story is of an African slave whose master was about to slay him with a spear. But a chivalrous British traveler was there and 
He thrust out his arm just in time to save the slave's life. But the spear pierced through his arm. And as the blood began to spurt out of this chivalrous traveler's arm, the British, this man who was stabbed demanded from the master of the slave, you must release this slave's life, for I, my suffering has paid the price for him. Reluctantly, the master let the slave go free. And as the British traveler was about to go his way, the slave threw himself at the feet of his deliverer, exclaiming, The blood bought is now the slave of the son of pity. He will serve him faithfully. And he insisted on accompanying this British traveler and took delight in serving him in every possible way. You've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And to just say, I believe that, it ain't enough. Our response should be like that slave, Lord Jesus, what you did for me. Those nail-scarred hands and feet, the crown of thorns, the spear in your side, the beating that you took should have been mine. And because you did that, I'll follow you the rest of my life. I'll serve you the rest of my life. My life is yours. You bought me. That's the gospel. Not just, yeah, I believe that, and go on with your life like nothing ever happened. That's not the gospel. That's religion, and it'll send you to the devil's hell. The gospel, the power of the gospel, unto salvation for everyone who believes. And we'll see next week, it also says, obeys. Father,